Well, guys, good morning. Thank you for being here for week three of our series, Ben Don't Break. And today we're going to be looking at the topic, When Lies Become Truth. When Lies Become Truth. It's been said, repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. And this was credited to Nazi Joseph Goebbels, who understood how effectively used propaganda to carry the Nazi message. Now, this is also called the illusion of truth effect, the illusion of truth effect, which is believing false information or untruth after hearing it repeatedly. Here's why this is so effective. You and I, each day, we get thousands of messages, new information each day. And to investigate each message we receive and to determine whether it's true or not, it takes a lot of energy, it takes a lot of effort. And so what we do is we shortcut it and we compare it with what we already know. Now, not to be funny, some of us, the things we know aren't right. And so we're comparing it things that are already untrue. So let me give you a few examples. This is just for fun. There were three wise men. Is that true? Was there three wise men? No, the Bible doesn't specifically say how many. We just know there are three gifts given to Jesus. How about this one? Dogs sweat by salivating. Dogs sweat by salivating. Did you know they actually sweat through their foot pads? They regulate their temperature through panting. How about bagpipes or Scottish? Yeah. They were prevalent in the Middle East before Scotland. And how about this one? And maybe you've used this before. I know that I've found myself using this and I realize, oh, this is not true. Don't eat and swim because you may get cramps. Don't eat and swim because you may get camps, cramps. Now, it's actually a full stomach that will cause shortness of breath. Did you know that? No. So here's an example of this that be, <laughs> that's way more serious than whether bag, bagpipes or Scottish Theronis was a biotech startup that claimed to have invented blood tests that required a small amount of blood. That's huge. That's a game changer. When they started, it was valued at $10 billion in 2014. Today, it doesn't even exist. In 2021, its founders were prosecuted for defrauding investors and patients. And during the trial, this is what, this is what came out. That highly successful and motivated, experienced investors could not tell the difference between hype and truth. They couldn't tell the difference between hype and truth. And what happened? Lives were destroyed because of a lie. From losing life savings to life to, to prison time to losing marriages and losing all respect from their kids. And I believe we know this to be true. Sometimes it's not the number of times a lie is repeated, but the influence of the person who is repeating the lie. I believe we know that to be true, that sometimes it's not the number of times a lie is repeated, but it's the influence of the person who's repeating it. So two questions we want to answer today. How do you and I respond when someone lies about our integrity? How do we respond? And then another question is, how do we react when something we tried to hide comes out? So let's pick it up where we left off last week. Last week, we learned about Joseph and Judah. Two brothers 
out of 12 who lived completely different lives. Those were two sons of Jacob. Jacob was the son of Isaac, and Isaac was the son of Abraham. And eventually, one day, Jesus was going to come from this line. And allows us to see, and God allows us to see, that God made this unconditional covenant, this unconditional promise to Abraham, that one day all the nations, all the people on earth would be blessed because of his seed, and that would be Jesus. So let's look at the promise that God made to Abram. Leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to land that I will show you. Again, no coordinates, just I want you to pick up your stuff and I want you to go. He says, I will make you into a great nation. You will have a kid one day. You will have a seed one day with your wife. And I know it sounds impossible, but I'm promising you it will happen. He says, I will bless you and make you famous. And I will, you will be a blessing to others. And I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. This was an unconditional promise, which means that God was going to deliver on this regardless of what Abraham did or did not do, what his kids did or did not do. He was going to honor this because there's a bigger story being written. Okay. So we have 20 to 22 years between Genesis 37 and Genesis 39. So we left off in 30. Seven, and we're going to pick up between 38 and 39 today. So Joseph's in Egypt. Judah found himself not being able to live with his dad, with his brother. So he decides to move 60 miles south by himself. He finds a woman, marries that woman, has three kids. So all that's going on while Joseph's in Egypt. Okay, he was sold to Potiphar, who is the security guard for Pharaoh. So let's pick up Judah's story. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were sharing his sheep. And his friend, Hera, the Anulite, went with him. So a couple things. Judah's recovering from his wife's death. They were married a long time. She died. Now sheep sharing time was to determine how wealthy Judah would be. So what they would do is they would figure out how much wool he was able to produce and then how much he could sell it for. So it's almost like a financial review, a financial audit. So it's very possible he's going to a sheep sharing festival. When Tamar was told your father-in-law was on his way to Timnah to share his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then she sat down at the entrance which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shela had grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. She figured out something was going on. Remember last week that she was the widow. She was widowed twice. She married the firstborn Ur. Then after he died, she married Onan, the secondborn. And then God killed both of them. She was left as a widow, Judah tells her, I want you to go move in with your parents. There's safety, there's security there. And then when my son is old enough, you can marry him. All the while intending not to keep that promise. And so she kind of figures out that she's been forgotten about. And so his business trip was her opportunity to send him a reminder of what he promised. Now she had no legal recourse against this injustice. So she comes up with a plan that was going to outwit him 
and more importantly, obtain her rights under their current law. We talked last week about the, the Levirate the law and was meant to protect the widow to provide safety security protection but also to continue the family line and this was going to get his attention by total surprise when judah saw her he thought she was a prostitute for she had covered her face not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law he went over to her by the roadside and said come now let me sleep with you anyone anyone is this a good idea No, this is a terrible idea. She's prepared. And what will you give me to sleep with you? Well, I'll send you a young goat with my flock. Now, she knows who he is. She knows that she has been, oh yeah, she's been betrayed multiple times before by this man who does not recognize her. He says, I'm not playing this game. I'm not being duped again. Will you give me something as a pledge until you send it? I'm not willing to do this until you're willing to put, some, put something down. I want you to deposit something to know that I'm going to get this goat. He said, what pledge should I give you? What he's saying in so many words is, I want to make this thing happen. And so whatever, whatever I need to do, I'm willing to do it. And she says, okay. Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand. And the seal and the cord was like a signature to a legal document back then. It was very important. And he's willing to put all of that on the table for one night. He's willing to put all of that stuff for one night. Notice what happens. So he gave them to her. And he slept with her. And she became pregnant by him. And after she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. She obviously was a student of the situation. She knew what she needed to do, and she was willing to do it. Right or wrong, she was willing to do it. And the collateral, she was wise to make sure that she got that, just in case he decided to betray her again. Now quickly after, Judah sends a goat to the woman in order to get his seal back. His friend says, I don't know. I can't find her. She doesn't exist. He's like, no, there's no way she doesn't exist. And so they play this cat and mouse game for a while. And then three months go by and Tamar is beginning to show. Judah hears about it and he wants her burned alive. And with her life on the line, based on all the betrayal and the lies, notice what she does. She's got minutes to live. And this is what she says. I am pregnant by the man who owns these. He let my father-in-law know that I'm pregnant by the man who owns these. And see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Notice what happens. Judah recognized them and said, She is more righteous than I, since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. With her life on the line, she kept those things as collateral and it paid off. And even though he had no intention to marry her off to Shayla, he believed Tamar sinned against her son to whom she was pledged. I want her burned alive. And Judah admits in so many words that he was irresponsible, that he was unfaithful in his duty to see that the family line continues through marrying Tamar with his youngest son. 
And Tamar fought harder than Judah in keeping the family line. And even though she used deception, Tamar fought for what she believed was right. Notice what happens in six months. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb, and she was giving birth, and one of them put out his hand, and so the midwife took a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. And then he drew back his hand, his brother came out, and she said, this is how you've broken out. And they named him Perez. Then his brother, who had the scarlet thread on his wrist, came out, and his name, Sariah. Now here's what's so fascinating about all of this. God wanted you to, to know, I'm still in charge. I know that you wanted to get rid of your brother. You did not want your brother to be the ruler uh, of the 12 sons, but instead he is, and he's going to be. And I'm giving you this clear message through your sons, your twin boys, that the older will serve the younger. Just like the dreams that I provided Joseph, the older will serve the younger. Judah and his brothers thought about getting rid of Joseph would stop God's plan, but here's God sending the message. No, that's not going to happen. And we see the connection to Jesus. Jesus is the firstborn, and he came to serve by laying down his life. We are the younger. Notice how Paul describes it. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Jesus died so that we could live. How do, remember the question we asked is, how do we react when something we tried to hide comes out? Judah is an example of how we should react when something we try to hide comes out. What do we do? We own it. We need to own it. And Judah owned it by confessing the truth, taking care of Tamar and their sons, and he honored her by not having sex with her again. And when we are caught, the only thing that we can do, guys, is own it. We have to own it. Confess it, embrace the consequences, and make the commitment to build back our integrity. So we're going to pivot back to Joseph. And we're going to notice that God was with him for a greater purpose. Notice the Lord, and we see the word capitalized. What does that mean? It's God's personal name. The Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, Potiphar, when his master saw that the Lord was with him and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household. He entrusted his, to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all the things he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Joseph's success wasn't just his ability and his commitment to God, but it was God to him. It was God with him, providing Joseph with success, which allowed Potiphar to enjoy the success. And this goes back to the blessing and the promise that God made to Abraham, that whoever blesses his descendants would be blessed and potiphar he made the connection that since joseph came around he's been successful so something is up with joe and his god 
And then something unexpected happened. Everything was going well. Everything was going smooth. And then Potiphar believed the lie, even though he already knew Joseph. But he was willing to believe this lie. Even with all that he knew about Joseph, he was willing to believe a lie. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of him and said, Come to bed with me. But he refused. Notice what he says. With me in charge, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he's entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. He trusts me. I don't want to break that trust. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you're his wife. So then, how, how could I do such a wicked thing and a sin against God? And although she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her and even be with her. He did everything he could to avoid being with her because he knew what she was about. And there's a clear contrast, right? There's a clear contrast between Judah and Joseph. What was, willing, what was jo- Judah willing to do? Judah was willing to use his signature as collateral for sex while Joseph viewed sex as the benefit of marriage. Joseph rejected her for two reasons, which provides a clear perspective on sexual sin. He could not betray the trust of his boss, and he could not sin against God. And for many of us, we believe the lies of sex and pornography. Both of those are outside of God's design, these lies that we believe. Some of the lies we believe is, well, let me take your mind off that. Let me me take your mind off of all that. People have affairs. And someone will say to the other person, well, let me take your mind off all that. But yet, what happens? It takes over your mind. Maybe you heard this lie. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's cheating. Everyone's looking at porn. Everyone's looking at that stuff. But yet, you hide from it everywhere. You, you hide it from everyone. Well, just let me live in the moment. But afterward, you're deleting your history or you're desiring your next hit or your next smash. And the one I hear now, it doesn't hurt anybody. It's not hurting anybody. Guys, that's not the litmus test of our relationship with God. That's, that's not our litmus test with God. God. God doesn't say, well, as long as it doesn't hurt anybody, you can kind of do whatever you want. God set up our boundaries. He sets up these rules. Because that's what's best for us. And the litmus test for us is, do I obey him or I don't? Do I follow him or I don't? It, it's not, well... As long as it doesn't hurt anybody, it, shouldn't, it should be okay. That's not the litmus test. Later, Potiphar's wife finds Joseph alone and grabs his outer robe and invites him to her bed. Oh, it's like, oh my goodness, man. This guy has no luck with coats. She went and told the household staff what Joseph had done. It's a lie. And she told them that so that they could back her accusation to Potiphar. And then she held his robe and waited for her husband to come home. And remember Judah's story? 
See, both of them had an item left behind. See, one prevented a cover-up, and the other one was used for a cover-up. She told him the story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him, put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. See, being accused of rape is no small thing, especially in that culture. See, Potiphar could have had him killed, but he decided to put him in prison. Don't you see the connection with Jesus? He was unfairly sentenced to a death for a crime he did not commit. And that was perpetrated by a lie. It was a lie by his fellow colleagues, the rabbis who did not like Jesus, did not believe what he stood for, and they were willing to execute him. They were willing to make sure that he was no longer around to disrupt what was going on. Notice what Pilate says, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and I have found no basis for your charges against him. You guys, remember how we said this? Sometimes it's not the number of times a lie is repeated, but the influence of the person who is repeating it. See, Potiphar's wife had the power to instill fear in the household staff, and she also had influence over her husband. And this is a clear example of how the influence of someone can provide an illusion of truth. And so how do we respond? How do we respond when someone lies about our integrity? We do a couple of things. One, it's really important that we understand that there is more at play than just someone lying about you. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus, there is a spiritual component. We have the devil, our adversary. He is a liar, in fact, the father of lies. Notice what Paul writes. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Our adversary, the devil, is a liar and a manufacturer of lies, not just to tempt us, but to distract us. The other thing that we need to do to respond is attack the problem by confronting the person. Last week, we talked about this, that we don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, we repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. We confront the person's behavior in this situation by bringing someone else in. Bringing another person in who's familiar with the person and the situation. And then... We allow God to allow the truth to come out. Listen, God will allow the truth. He will allow the truth to come out. It, I promise you, he will allow it to come out. And that is our story. We're going to find out. We're going to find out that in the next couple of weeks, how God defends his people and brings the truth to light. And it didn't take a couple of minutes. It didn't take a couple of months. It took years for it to come out. And that may be the same in your situation. It may take years for the truth to come out. See, time is like an island to God, whereas time is like a train to us. Like an island, he sees beginning to end. He is transcendent of time. In fact, God created time for us, for our benefit. 
God doesn't need time, but we need time. And it may be that it happened three minutes ago. It could be that it happened three months ago. It could happen three months ago. But for some of us, listen, that truth may not come out until longer. And we got to be okay with that. Because God knows what's best for us. Because it's not just about our story, it's about his story that he's writing. Now let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for allowing us to dive into the story. Man, there's so much there. There's so much baggage. There's so much deception. There's so much betrayal. There's so many lies, but yet you still use these people. You still use them as part of this bigger story that you're writing that one day all things will be renewed through Jesus including ourselves. So Father, thank you for reminding us that you will use us. It also reminds us that you are incredibly faithful to your promises. So remind us that there are going to be lies spoken to us or spoken against us. And we have to be prepared in either case. Father, help us to be critical thinkers, Help us to understand what you say and that we would respond to you appropriately and that also when someone lies about our integrity, we will go through those processes. We will confront the person and then we will trust you to allow the truth to come out. We are incredibly thankful for your faithfulness, not just to your promises, but to us. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.